Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the sophisticated and mysterious edition. This week, we're talking about how the State Board of Education debated whether to support federal protections for LGBTQ students. Who is on the ballot for November is still changing. Another extension on abortion in Ohio. And what the heck are issue one and issue two? Joining me this week is honorary education reporter Jesse Ballmer. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So our first topic is the State Board of Education. And for those who don't know, it's a 19-member board that's part elected, part appointed by the governor, who deal with things like teacher licensing issues and set statewide education goals and standards. Kind of like big picture education stuff for Ohio. And this week, one of their elected members, Brendan Shea, introduced a resolution to oppose federal protections for LGBTQ students. So the very short story is President Joe Biden wants to expand the definition of Title IX from women in girls to include discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And Shay thinks this is a terrible idea. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of discussion, a lot of people who came in. 61 people came to testify. To testify and kind of, you know, express their opinions on this. What were the majority of people saying, Anna? The majority of folks who came were in opposition. And there was a couple of different reasons for opposition. Obviously, there were transgender individuals who came, parents of transgender kids and LGBTQ kids who talked about how without these protections, their kids might face bullying and discrimination and challenges using the bathroom in school. But then there was this other idea. So Title IX um, has some pretty big teeth to it. Like if you violate Title IX, like if you fund the boys soccer team and not the girls soccer team, you can lose federal money. You could lose, um, you know, free and reduced lunch money. You could lose all kinds of federal programming money. And so if sexual orientation and gender identity get added... I mean, schools who violate it could lose their free lunch money from the federal government. And that's a really big deal. And so Shea uh, says in his resolution that he would want the state of Ohio to backfill any school who decided to violate this new definition of Title IX. Interesting. And that could be expensive. To be sure. Is this something that they voted on this time or or what? when is this going to be taken up? So, no, they decided to, uh, because he just introduced it and they decided not to declare it an emergency. So it will possibly come back in, in October. It could come back later. That's sort of up to the board. But the thing to keep in mind is like people got really worked up about this, but... The board doesn't have the force of law. They they can't create law. They can't ban transgender athletes from participating on certain sports teams. They can't ban access to certain bathrooms. They can like they can ask lawmakers to do these things. They can express their support for these kinds of things, but they can't they can't change law. And that's that's important to keep in mind. What they can do and what this would do is send letters out to schools that say like these federal rules aren't finalized, you don't have to follow them, and, you know, we support you in the not following of these rules. Yeah, it's been interesting. I think there's been so much focus on the State Board of Education in a way that there really hasn't been in the past. There's this whole situation with the State Superintendent of Public Education trying to find one, the previous one resigning, and then even... After two weeks on the job. Mm-hmm. And then um, a lot of a discussion about what is a divisive concept and what should be taught in schools or recommended to be taught in schools. So there's so much more focus on this body that really didn't get very much attention before. 
Yeah, and I think this Title IX fight, or how we define it, is it's bigger than the Ohio State Board of Education. Attorney General Dave Yost has signed on to a federal lawsuit with other conservative states' attorneys general um, to push back on it as well. So I think there's a lot of conservatives in a lot of different states that are unhappy with these proposed changes, particularly because they do come with like actual like punishments for violating them. And I know Ohio lawmakers have taken a look at a few issues, including a bill that passed the House looking at uh, transgender girls in sports. Do you know what's happening with that or... Lame duck. After the election is over and like after we've all had our Thanksgiving turkey, the lawmakers are going to come back and there is a very good chance that some of these bills will get taken up then. It's going to be a busy time. Oh, yeah. And another thing that will be coming back in lame duck is abortion. And that's our second topic today. And it's the ongoing back and forth over when abortion is legal in Ohio. So last week, a Hamilton County judge put a 14-day freeze on the law that bans almost all abortions after six weeks. And this week, he extended that freeze, which basically means that through about the middle of October-ish, I think, abortions will be legal until about 20 weeks. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yes. So legal fights over abortion access have been going on for years. If the listeners will recall Ohio's so-called heartbeat ban or a six-week ban on abortion after um, fetal cardiac activity is detected was passed in 2019, but had been held up by the courts since that point. It was only after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade that that law was able to take effect. And it's really been effect since that U.S. Supreme Court decision this summer. There hadn't been any changes whatsoever until this Hamilton County judge got involved and said that they were the abortion clinics were likely to prevail on their argument that there are some protections for abortion in the Ohio Constitution. Now, that was the basis in which he okayed a pause on this law for 14 days. That's going to be extended another 14 days uh, to allow for a hearing to look at a preliminary injunction, which is just a fancy way of saying like putting this law on hold for even longer. This is something that's going to continue to be debated in the courts, probably will be appealed potentially and likely all the way back to the Ohio Supreme Court. And so the question of whether there is some sort of protection for abortion access in the Ohio Constitution is not going away anytime soon. But for individuals who are seeking abortion in Ohio, the access to that has increased dramatically because of this court ruling. Yeah. And, you know, because this keeps changing, um, our advice, like or my advice, I guess, is if you are a woman in Ohio who is considering an abortion, like they the clinics will know what's legal and what's not legal. Like this is all changing very quickly. It's enough to give you like whiplash trying to like keep track of who is open, who is closed, what the law is. And I will say that in this order, he did the judge did say that anyone who had an abortion during this time period, even if the heartbeat bill was declared constitutional, could not be prosecuted because the abortion they saw was legal at the time that they had it. So like you couldn't go and be punished if a year later this state Supreme Court decided that the heartbreak bill was legal, right? Yeah. And it's it's important. These are protections for doctors who are performing the procedures yes. versus um, someone who's obtaining an abortion. But yes, um, that is completely accurate. So it's just to confuse the matter a little bit more, it's likely that Ohio's Republican-controlled legislature is going to work on a, a total ban or a near total ban of abortion later this year in that beloved lame duck session. <laughs> and so this kind of legal back and forth, while important for addressing 
the the six week restrictions is going to be potentially a little bit moot if Ohio lawmakers are able to pass this and if it if it takes effect 90 days later. So our third topic is actually two topics or two state ballot issues in one. Issue one and issue two. It kind of makes me think of like Dr. Seuss's thing one and thing two. But Ohioans are going to get to vote on these in November. And we thought it'd be important to explain what they are. So issue one is bail and whether how we calculate bail for those accused of crimes should change. So Ohio's state Supreme Court, actually, to bring the court back into this, ruled that public safety couldn't be a consideration when calculating how much a person should have to pay to make bail. Republicans do not like that. And so they put this issue on the ballot that says, we should should we basically be allowed to use public safety in calculating bail? Opponents are like, look, you can do ankle monitoring, you can do drug testing, you can ban them from contacting certain people, you can have like house arrests or like only work release. Like, there's lots of things that you can do that aren't related to how much you have to pay to make bail to secure somebody on release. But Republicans say this should public safety should be a consideration, and I guess Ohioans are going to get to decide. Yeah, this this is interesting. It's it's worth pointing out, and you did a great job explaining that, that bail is for people accused of crimes, not yet convicted of crimes. And so the argument against a really high bail, especially for a less severe potential crime, is that the people who are being penalized are the people who can least afford to get out. And so the people who end up in your jails awaiting trial are the people who cannot afford um, these higher bail amounts. And if the justice system is supposed to be equal towards all, you know, that raises some questions. But I think public safety, that's something Republicans are, are pretty focused on. And they're concerned that you might get too low of a number for someone who is really dangerous to the community. And so we have a great explainer on all of our websites about this uh, particular issue, and it's worth checking out before you uh, cast your ballots. So issue two is about whether people who aren't U.S. citizens should be allowed to vote in local elections. So if you aren't a U.S. citizen, the federal government says you can't vote in state or federal elections. But local elections are actually left up to the states. And New York City, uh, not too long ago, let non-U.S. citizens vote in its race for mayor. And apparently, Republicans in the state legislature found that a little surprising or shocking, I guess. And they decided they wanted to make it clear that in Ohio, you have to be a U.S. citizen to vote in a local election. And that's what this initiative would do. Yeah, to be sure. It's something that Yellow Springs here in Ohio was taking a look at, allowing people who are not U.S. citizens to vote in those kind of local elections. The argument for it is that, you know, these people receive services from the community. They live there. You they know, may pay should, certain taxes. may pay certain taxes. And so, you know, having an opportunity to have a say in their representatives or, you know, the people making decisions about the roads and street sweepers and everything. <laughs> Uh, might be important. There's also kind of this home rule situation we have in Ohio where there is some authority to local municipalities to govern themselves. And then the argument on the opposite side is, you know, individuals who are not citizens can't vote in all of these other races. And so so why let them do it on local races as well? Yeah, there's some election security concerns about how you would divvy that up. But And the thing that's worth noting, too, is non-U.S. citizens don't necessarily mean people here illegally. Like, it could absolutely be somebody on a visa, someone who's in the process of applying for a green card but has not completed. Like, there are lots of legal people working in the U.S. who are not U.S. citizens. Yeah. And I would say on both of these issues, you can kind of see a clear 
Republican side and a, a more yeah. clear Democratic side. For and sure. so I don't know if anyone is coming to the ballot in November specifically for non-citizen voting or specifically for um, bail reform. But given, you know, the attention that's been on like the U.S. Senate race, for example, but it, if it drives a couple more people for one side or the other to the ballot, then I think I think the parties see that as a good thing. And our fourth and final topic is also about November's ballot, um, specifically who's going to be on it. You would think that by now the candidates would be set in stone, but you would be wrong. The Ohio Supreme Court ordered Tuesday that podcaster and conspiracy theorist Tori Morris be put on the ballot for Ohio's Secretary of State. She had originally tried to challenge Frank LaRose in the Republican primary, and now she wants on the ballot as an independent. They had challenged whether she had valid signatures. I won't get into the nitty gritty of that case, but basically the state Supreme Court said she should be on the ballot, and I I guess that means they have to reprint the ones for Ohioans who live outside the U.S. Yeah, it's we're maybe 50 days. We're definitely within 60 days yeah. out from the election <laughs> at this point. And so it seems like this is something we should have handled already. But we're seeing this in even state house races, but certainly in this um, statewide election, another candidate being added. It will be interesting what effect, if any, this has on the Ohio Secretary of State's race. Um, it would be against Frank LaRose, the Republican, and Chelsea Clark, the Democrat. Seems likely that Tori Maras would um, pull from the Republican side more so, but whether that you know helps Chelsea Clark enough. It Clark's ha- campaign has been pretty underfunded. Yeah, and it's hard to say. There's been no public polling on these down-ticket statewide races, so there's not even like a, a solid benchmark to kind of to draw from. And I would say traditionally they follow the governor's race, and so it's it's really hard to outperform that race by more than a few percentage points. And one more thing before you go. Republican candidate J.R. Majewski found himself in a little bit of hot water this week. So he's that Trump-endorsed candidate who's challenging Democrat Marcy Kaptur for what used to be the snake on the lake. Well, the Associated Press has a story that says he may have misled voters about his military service record. He said that he served in Afghanistan after 9-11 and specifically told stories about difficult conditions, um, one point saying he didn't get a shower for 40 days. Well, the Associated Press pulled his military service record and they say he served in Qatar, a friendly country loading airplanes. Yeah, it just it just helps to be accurate in your description of your service in particular. There are so many people who have, you know, bravely served our country in so many different roles and, and they're all important, but just being, you know, consistent with what you did in that position, I think is important from an integrity standpoint. And so we'll see if this is something that resonates in that district, which is really a, a toss up. It's uh Yeah. It's, pretty close to 50-50. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Lancaster Eagle Gazette.